Well, hello, you doing good? Good, good, good. Man, we're starting a new series today, a new series of messages called It's Just a Phase. And it's a message on parenting. And we want to help lean in in this season as we go back to school. And school started, maybe school hasn't started for you yet, but it's, it's right around this season. And those of us that are, that are parents, this is a, an incredible opportunity for us to lean into this next phase of our kid's life. And we want to help redeem that phrase, it's just a phase. We don't want to see it as a kind of a negative sense, but look at it as an opportunity to lean into it. And even those of you that, that maybe don't have kids, or maybe you used to have kids, or you want to have kids, or you're that, that person that just judges the rest of us at the restaurant, and you never want to have kids, whatever season of life that you're in, we all can learn something about it, because whether it's about you and your children, all of us go through phases. And so even if you are parenting and you've got kids going through a phase or you don't have people going through a phase, you yourself are. You're going through different phases in life and we're gonna do a marriage, uh, not a marriage, I mean, we'll talk about marriage, some of this, but do a series of messages around this subject of it's just a phase and try to capitalize on the opportunity that we have right now in this season in the life of our kids or in the life of ourselves. No matter what we're doing, we have this opportunity to redeem this phrase, it's just a phase. We're going to do this for four weeks, and then we'll jump back into Romans, because we've been preaching through the book of Romans for the last 20-something weeks. We closed out chapter 8 last week, and we'll get back into chapter 9 at the beginning of September. And so this series, this idea of it's just a phrase, really comes out of a ministry partner that we have that does all of our kids' curriculum called Orange. And they've done a whole project on the idea of phases that kids go through and how as parents to, to lean in each one of those phases. And it's the curriculum that we use and we use it on purpose because the concept of orange is very simply this. Orange is made by bringing two colors together, yellow and red. And so yellow is, uh, represents the church, red represents the home. You bring those two together, you get orange. And so as a church, we wanna partner with parents to help you raise your kids to accomplish our mission to grow people. And the whole concept of this phase, we go through these phases, really started me thinking about phrases that we use a lot of times. One is just a phase, but we talk about it negatively. Like when our kids are going through the terrible twos, and instead of terrific threes, it's still terrible threes, right? And uh, I don't know what you'd say for fours. You know, maybe it's fantastic fours, whatever. But we kind of think, and people are like, oh, it's just a phase. And the idea is kind of a negative, like just hold on and you'll get through this phase. You'll be able to go out to eat dinner again and not feel insane, right? Like we just kind of approach this negatively. But it made me start to think about other phrases that we use that just simply aren't true or we use them incorrectly. Speaking of growing up, one of the phrases that I heard a lot when I was growing up that I came to realize that's just simply not true is this one. See if you know it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never what? Hurt me. That's a lie. Have you realized that yet? Like, I'm not saying don't, you're a bad parent if you teach that to your kids. Just tell them that's not true. In fact, sometimes I would rather you take a stick and take a stone and break my bone because my bones can heal a lot easier than the wounds that happen from your words. And so that's simply just not true. That phrase, I don't know who came up with it, but I mean, I, I get the intent and the heart behind it, but it's not true. Another phrase that I talk a lot about in pastoral care situations, and if you had one with me before, you've heard this before, but you've ever heard the phrase, time heals all what? Wounds. You know, that's not true either. It's simply not true. Time heals all wounds. 
What I explain to people when we have these conversations in pastoral care, and those are the moments where you really get to get into the nitty gritty of people's lives. And I, and I really enjoy that because preaching is great and I love it. But when you hear people's personal stories and you get to walk with them, that's really what ministry is about. And I described him, and I'm a math guy, and I say this often, but I'll write it up on the whiteboard in our offices, and I'll say, it's not time heals all wounds. That's not true. What is true is it takes time for wounds to heal. That part is true, but time doesn't do the healing. You have to do the right things over time, and then that will equal health. In fact, the very simple equation I want you to learn, in fact, you can write it down, I've got it here on the screen, doing the right things over time equals health. Because how many of you know time might just make things worse? Like if you think time's gonna heal all wounds, you may actually be more bitter longer. You actually be more angry, more unhealthy. Some of us, we do, oh, time heals all wounds. No, you're a worse version of yourself than you were six years ago. Why? Because you didn't do the right things over time. And here's the concept you gotta get. Yes, it takes time for wounds to heal. It will not happen in a day. You can get Amazon Prime in two days. You can't get healing in two days, all right? It, it takes time. It takes time. But you gotta do the right things over time. And it's consistently doing the right things over time that are gonna lead to a big result of healing. And so we gotta start thinking differently Time is simply a unit of measurement, and it's measuring what we're doing. But we have to put the emphasis on doing the right things. So when it comes to parenting, I want us to think like this as well. And I've kind of tweaked the phrase a little bit, or the equation, to talk about this series. We want to help you do the right things over each phase of life to get growth. The right things over each phase of your kid's developmental life to get growth. Again, that's our mission around here. We want to love Jesus and grow people. That's just simply our way of saying the great commandment and the great commission. We want to love God. We want to make disciples. And we want to make disciples that love God and make disciples. And so growth, and we, it's an acronym for us. It's the gospel, relationships, obedience, works. That's the process of growth. Doing those things, that's the right things to do in each phase or each season of our life over time is going to lead to growth. And so when it comes to parenting, we've got to start thinking differently. We've got to start thinking about we have a set amount of time with our kids, and we need to engage in each one of the phases that they're going through and do the right things. And if we do the right things by the grace of God over time, then we've got a shot at raising a child that the rest of us are, would be proud of, right? The rest of us would be like, thank you for raising your child like that because you've grown, you've raised a healthy, well-adjusted individual. And so it's doing the right things over each phase that lead to health, that lead to growth. So when we talk about phases, we want you to understand there's specific phases that your, your kids go through, your children go through. And, and again, a part of the, the strategy that we have here as a church 
on orange is our, us as a church partnering with parents to help you through these developmental phases. And we've got all kinds of resources. There's some available today after each service in both locations. We've got, a, it's just a face center out there. A few resources next week. We'll have even more as an opportunity for you to get more resources to know how to parent your kids through each phase. If you don't follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, make sure you follow us, like it, heart it, whatever, because we want you to get information. And so a lot of the information I'll share today will be up there so that you know and get information and feel equipped to know how to do the right things. But one of the, the, the girls that, one of the ladies that really created this whole phase uh, concept and, and, and the curriculum that we use, she has an unbelievable quote. Her name is Kristen Ivey. And I've got it here on the screen because I think it reinforces what I'm saying here about doing the right things over time. This is what she says. Kids at every phase need adults who will show up predictably and consistently. What's those next two words there? Over time. Let's try that again. What is it? over time, that show up consistently and predictably over time. In fact, it's the one things that kids need more than anything else. But the reason kids need consistent adults changes with each passing phase. What that means is this, over time, you got to show up consistently and predictably. And then in each phase, what they need from you will be different. The right thing to do in each phase will be different. And that's some of the stuff that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. But just so that you kind of understand the phase concept, we've got a screen or a graph here on the screen that shows you the four phases very quickly. Again, we'll get this information out to you if you follow us on social media. Here's the first phase, preschool. Kids need you to show up so that they know you. You're a stranger to them, right? They need a familiar face. They need to know you. They need to recognize you and know who it is that is caring for them. Elementary school, kids, kids need you to show up so that they know that you know them. So it, it flips, not, not them knowing you, but it's you knowing them and you start to see who they are come alive in elementary school. In middle school, kids need you to show up so that they know that you know them now. Because how many of you know when, when hormones hit and puberties hit, they change? And so they're evolving and evolution in this kind of sense is good because it can be a good thing. It's growth. And they need to know that you know them now. And then in high school, kids need you to show up so that they know that you, so that they know you will be there when they need you. One of the biggest misnomers is when kids get to high school or college, they don't need you anymore. That's just simply not the case. They need you and they need to know that you're going to be there. Now, they need you differently from when they were a kid. And that's the point. There's these phases of life that our kids go through that we go through. And we got to learn how to do the right things within each phase. And all of this is really based or grounded in what the Bible says about how the church, the people of God, and the home work together. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. That is the fifth book in your Bible. So it's back towards the beginning. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All right. It's the fifth book. It's a part of the collection of books that Moses wrote. And we're going to look in Deuteronomy chapter six. So we're going to hang out here for the next several weeks. Again, it'll be a series of messages on this text in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one through nine. 
So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, don't worry about it. We've got the verses here on the screen. And we're just going to dig into this. I'm going to kind of hit the overview this week. And then over the next several weeks, that's why it's so important to continue to show up and, and learn because we'll dig uh, into this text even more and more. But as always, we always like to pray before we jump into the text. And so if you're new, that's what we do. But if you're not new, then you know that's what we do. So let's pray together, all right? Father, thank you for loving us. And as we open up your word today, I pray that you would speak to us. You would help us understand not only who you are, but what you're doing and the role that you would have for us to do in doing the right things to lead to growth over time. And so God, thank you for marriage. Thank you for families. This is what you created. It was the very first thing that you instituted. And so God, we know that the strength of a country is found in the strength of the families, just like the strength of a church is about the strength of the families. And so over these next few weeks, would you speak to us and would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. So Deuteronomy chapter six, again, it's the fifth book in the Bible, and it is called, literally the word means second law, second law. It doesn't mean that there is a second law. It just means that Moses is saying it a second time. He lays it out first in the book of Exodus, but specifically in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses's tenure as leader of the people of God is coming to an end and Joshua is about to take over. So Moses writes the book of Deuteronomy. He's saying the law a second time, which anybody who understands parenting gets this, right? Because you got to say things multiple times. So let's just think about this kind of scenario. Your kids are going to go over to somebody's house or they're going to go spend the night or they're going to go to school or whatever it is they're going to do. When you're at home, you're telling them, all right, when you go over there, you say, yes, ma'am. You say, no, ma'am. You say, yes, sir. No, sir. You, you know, you brush your teeth and no, just your finger doesn't count, right? Put on deodorant. Do you got underwear in there? All right, like you're giving them all these instructions and then you drive them to wherever they're going and you drop them off again and you rehash it and you say again. That is Deuteronomy. Back at the house was Exodus. The drop-off is Deuteronomy. All right, you with me when I say that? That's what Moses is doing here. He lays it out in Exodus when he gets it from the Lord. And now he's transitioning out. Joshua's transitioning in. And he says, here's what you need to know. Don't forget. And in chapter six is arguably the greatest thing, specifically in the Jewish faith. This is central to everything that they believe. So look at verse one. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Verse three, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Remember I say, do them. That was horrible. Let's try that again. Say, do them. Be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So again, think about this. Moses is transitioning out of leadership. He says, I've told you this before, but I'm saying it again because you're going into a new season. You're, you're moving. At, we've come out of Egypt. You're supposed to be in the wilderness for 40 days that turned into 40 years because you disobeyed. But now you're going into a new season. You're going into, dare I say, a new phase. You're going into a new time. And what you need to understand is if you don't want to repeat the past, do something different. You got to do something. You got to do something. You want to know another phrase that is just ridiculous. And I think some dude that got in trouble came up with, well, it's the thought that counts. 
Really? That's a lie. That is not true. Again, I think some dude got in trouble because he forgot an anniversary. He's like, well, I thought about it. It's the thought that counts. Really? I I thought about buying you a gift. I didn't, but I thought about it. I thought about saying I love you, but I didn't. Anybody here want to be married to somebody who just thinks about it? No, you want somebody who turns that thought into an action because it ain't the thought that counts. It's the action that counts. The thought only counts if you can see it because here's what we don't even know. Did you even actually have the thought? Are you just lying to us? Listen, I'm a thinker and I love thoughts. I love ideas. Our staff will tell you, I've never had an idea I didn't like. I love my ideas. It frustrates me when others don't like my ideas. But but in our church and in leadership, you have a lot of ideas, but it's not about the thought, it's about the execution. And 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 straight up, I wrestle with that. Anybody on our staff would know that. I love ideas, love thinking about ideas. Then I want somebody else to execute. But it's in the execution of the thought that it counts. And so here's simply what Moses is saying to them. Listen, when, when you're going over into the season, you have a chance to move into the promised land, to erase the past. This is a new generation of people. If you do the right things, you do the right things over time and it will go well with you. So it's not the thought that counts. It's the action that counts. And here's what I want you to see. What's so cool is Moses is acting here. Although he wouldn't have used this language, we would get it later from the New Testament, like a pastor, like a priest, like a prophet. Moses is the leader. He's the one who is charged with telling them what God says. And what you see here is this is the role of the church. Again, thinking about the orange philosophy, you got the home and you got the church, and they are to work together. So in these first three verses, you see the role of the church. Because this is simply the people of God. The people of God gathered to hear the word of God preached. Here's what God says. And when you do that consistently over time, when you gather together as the church, here we are simply the people of God saying, hey, the word of God is our authority. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to believe this. We got to live like this. That's the role of the church. And so very simply, again, just Asking a simple question, if over time, just to say over a period of 52 weeks, a year, you come once a week. I mean, that would be great if you came once a week. <laughs> Misses my point. You came once a year. It's the right thing to come, but if you don't do it often enough, is it going to have as big of an impact? No, so the role of the church is important. The role of the church is why you should come every week. To hear the word of God preached. And I'm not just saying that to try to get you to come to revolution. It's not about revolution. I'm just saying gathering together with the people of God, hearing the word of God preached is so important in learning how to do the right things. That's the role of the church. So you see Moses taking on this role. And he's reminding them. He says, hear. And he's going to say it again in verse 4. But one of the things that I really want to point out as well is Moses says, listen, that it may go well for you and your son, and your son's sons. You, your son, and your son's sons. How many generations is that? Tell me. Three. Like every service, only like seven people have yelled it out because I think you think it's a trick question. Yeah. 
You, one. Son, two. Son, son. So how many? Okay, you guys are getting smarter. All right. It wasn't a setup. It wasn't a joke. Yes, three. I want you to see this. Here's what I'm saying to you. If we don't do the right things over time, it affects generations. If we don't do the right thing over time, it has a generational effect. And so Moses is saying, to them, you see how important this is? Listen, the last generation got this wrong and they died off. I don't want you to get this wrong. I want this to be for you and your son and your son's son. See, God is a generational God. You need to know that. When God does something in your life, he never wants it to end with you. He wants it to begin with you and then go through you to somebody else. How do we know that? Because he says that God may multiply you greatly. You may hear the word multiply a lot because that's the vision of our church. The vision of our church is simply to multiply the mission of growing people. Jesus told us, make disciples, all nations. But here's what you need to understand. The vision of the church of multiplication only happens if you and I as individuals take personal responsibility for it. It's not the job of the church to multiply because who is the church? Us. The building doesn't do it. We do it. We take the job of multiplication. So here's all I'm saying. God wants you to take personal responsibility for multiplying your faith into your kids and into their kids so that there becomes a generational bond. There becomes a generational multiplication of God's faithfulness in you, in your kids, in your kids' kids. You ever wonder why the Bible refers or God refers to himself in the Bible as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those aren't just three random dudes. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Three generations. God's saying, I'm his God, I'm his God, and I'm his God. And God wants to be the God of the next generation. But my friends, that won't happen if you and I don't take personal responsibility to multiply our faith. That's the second part of the strategy. The church has a role, and then you have a role. And your role is to take it personal. Look at, look at the next verse. Verse four, four through six. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everybody say one. one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, this section of scripture from four to nine is what's called the Shema. And the reason why it's called that is because that's literally the first word in Hebrew, here. And this is so integral to the life of a Jewish believer. This is their prayer. In fact, this is argued to be the most prayed prayer in human history. Because they would pray this in the morning, in the evening, still to this day. And the idea of this word Shema, it's translated into English as hear, but our word English kind of falls short of the, the meaning of this word because we can just hear something and not do anything with it. Speaking of parenting, right? You're like, I know you heard me. You didn't do anything with it, but that's not this word. This word means to hear and obey, to hear and to heed. The best way I can think about it is I know if my dad said, boy, that meant whatever's coming next, I better listen to. Like, got my attention. Yes, sir. 
And it wasn't a suggestion. I tell that to my kids all the time. That wasn't a suggestion, homie. Wasn't if you feel like it. That's not when you get around to it. And, and here's what Moses is saying. Hear, O Israel, listen. Why is he saying this? Because there was a generation before that didn't listen. And it cost him 40 years. He's saying, listen, the time is now, listen. And then what does he say? The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That word there, one, is the Hebrew word, ichad. Now, Hebrew is a very guttural word. You know you're saying it correctly if you get a little bit of spit on the person in front of you. <laughs> so let's try it, all right? Let's say the word. Everybody say, ichad. Yeah, like you got some phlegm in there. Like you just drank some Gatorade, right? You're like, ichad. All right, go ahead, try it again. Ihad. You guys are doing pretty well. The word is for one. But again, when we hear the word one, we think in cardinal numbers, one, two, three, four, we think a succession. That is not what this word means. This word doesn't mean that God is one, and then there's two, and then there's three, and then there's four. No, this word means I'm, I'm, I'm not one on your list. I am your list. I'm not one of your priorities. I'm your priority. I'm one. I am first. I am first. I existed first. And I went first. I'm first. And so put me first. But here's how we think as Americans, because we like lists. We're like, all right, I'm going to put God first. And then my marriage second. And then my kids third. And then my job. No, because what that means is you got God, but then God's not involved in everything else. A better way of thinking this is, no, put God in the center in the center of your life, he is one, he is ihad. And then put your marriage around that because what's at the center of your marriage, if that's the case? God. Then put your family around that and then what's at the center of your family? God. Then put your job around that. What's at the center of your job? God. Put the church around that. What's at the center of the church? God. Should be. Put the community around that and then what's at the center of the community? God, put the world around that. You see where I'm going? What's at the center of the world? Listen to me, church. We can sit here and talk all day long about how God is not the center of our country, but if he is not the center of your life, you're in this country. He'll never be at the center of this country if he's not the center of the church, if he's not the center of your family, if he's not the center of your marriage, if he's not the center of your life. And so what God is, listen, they're a nation. They're a nation. So what is he saying to them? As you go into this new phase, you want to be a strong nation? Put me ihat. First, I'm one. I'm one. Nothing happens without me. And so the concept of what we think about our families, our marriages, the best thing that we can do for our kids is put God first in our own life. Because here's what I know. We'll get into this more next week. Love over time, stories and words over time and fun over time. I can't give what I don't have. I can't give what I don't have. It's really hard to give my wife self-sacrificing love if I don't have it. It's really hard to give my kids self-sacrificing, God-like, agape love if I don't have it. And here's what I also know. I can teach what I know, but I will reproduce what I am. And a lot of times as parents, again, we misunderstand this, that the best thing that you can do in the parenting of your kids is love God. 
I'll go a step further. And, we'll, and this isn't necessarily a series on marriage, but this is just true. The second best thing you can do for your kids is love your spouse. Love your spouse. I mean, I have conversations with my kids all the time. Hey, she's your mama, but she's my woman. And don't nobody talk to my woman like that. My, my kids will tell you. They know. Hey, before you, there was her. And after you, there's her. Bye. It's a little bit of a joke, but go with me. But you see what I'm saying? And the center of Lindsay and I's marriage is Jesus. And I joke about this, but this is why on our first date, I was like, listen, if you want to live in a hut in Africa, don't marry me. Because if Jesus says go, I don't care what you say. He says yes. Now, I want you to say yes. I do care what you say. But you see what I'm saying? Here, this is why this is a four-week series, because I, I ain't got time to do it all day. The key to it is God at the center of it all. That's the right thing. Now look at the next verse, verse seven. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is he talking about here? He's not just saying, go get you know, best sign off Pinterest and put it up. Put the scripture on the walls. I'm good with it. But put it in your heart first. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he says, teach your kids. Teach your kids the word of God. Again, this is the strategy. The church's job is not to teach your kids the word of God. It's to equip you to teach your kids the word of God. Now, both are necessary. Again, verses one through three, you see Moses instructing. And how's he instructing? Hey, you own this. You own this. Again, going back to the multiplication of our mission. The multiplication of our mission, very simply, is making disciples. But that can't happen if parents don't make disciples of their kids. That is our primary role, is to help them know and follow Jesus, like hopefully we know and follow Jesus. And when that happens, when we're taking personal responsibility for that, then faith is being multiplied from generation to generation to generation when we're teaching diligently to our kids. And so Moses is saying, you want to be a great nation? Don't repeat the sins of the generation before you. You want to be a great nation? Take personal responsibility for whatever happened in the past. That's the past, but you have an opportunity now. You have an opportunity now as you're going into this new phase to start where you are, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then out of that love to teach it to your kids. And this is so important. This is so important that this is literally what they prayed all the time. And they prayed it and they put it as frontlets. Literally, Jewish people to this day will do that. And they, they write it on the doorpost because they want to see it and be reminded about it. This is just the rhythm of their life. And so as families, the goal, again, is, nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. But the goal is to create a rhythm. A rhythm where your kids see love over time. Words over time, stories over time, friends over time, fun over time, where this is just a rhythm. It's not an aberration because here's what I know. You can tell somebody you love them once and they may or may not believe it, but you do a rhythm of that over time and they'll start to believe it. 
Let me say it to you like this. A great vacation won't make up for 51 years of bad parenting. 51 weeks, sorry. 51 years. Whew, that would be tough. <laughs> but should you take great vacations? Yes. And amen. Go see them else, right? But, but what I'm saying here, what Moses is saying here is, but it's about this rhythm, about doing the right things over each phase where you are talking about it, you are aware of it, and you are engaging in those specific times where you have an opportunity to leverage that. And what I love about Orange and the curriculum that they give is it's not about daily, it's weekly. It's not about daily, it's weekly. Every week, you can engage in some way. You can engage in a faith moment with your kids. I can do that once a week. Maybe that's church, and then we talk about it. I can engage in a family moment once a week. We can do something fun once a week. We can wake them up right after they go to bed and go to Dairy Queen. That's allowed. You do that. Yeah. They can brush their teeth again. Probably didn't brush it before anyway, so... They can engage with their friends and their tribes. I, I can do that weekly. And here's, here's the point. And again, we're going to dig into this over the next few weeks. But here's what I want you to take away practically for this week. Take away practically for this week. You can do the right thing in a phase if you'll just engage weekly. In fact, if you've ever come to one of our parent-child dedications, one of the things that Orange teaches is getting a glass jar and putting marbles in it. Because when your kid is born, you have roughly about 936 weeks until they leave. So you put 936 marbles in it, and you, each week you take out a marble. And then you're like, well, I don't want to do that because it'll depress me as it gets lower. Or it can remind you that as you're taking a withdrawal, you need to put it in a deposit. As you take one out, you need to make sure you put one in. And it's a visual reminder of like, I only have this time once. See, this is where we flip the phrase, it's just a phase on its head, because even though the twos might be terrible, they're only going to be two once. They're only going to be three once. They're only going to enter into middle school and go through puberty once. Thank Jesus. <laughs> they're only going to get their driver's license for the first time once. They're only going to walk out once, unless they move back and you hope they walk out twice. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? And I don't mean to depress you because again, for my son, he's going into a sophomore year. We got like 150 something marbles left, but it's a visual reminder that I've got a set amount of time and I can do the right thing and engage in this moment. Reggie Joyner, the founder of Orange, says this, and I've got it here on the screen, and I'll close with it. It's such an amazing quote. He says, when you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have now. When you see how much time you have left, and that's simply what this does, you tend to do more with the time you have now. It's not that time heals all wounds. We know that. It's doing the right things over time. And when we do the right things over time, then we got a shot at healing. Then we got a shot at health. Then we got a shot at growth. 
And so as a church, the reason why we're doing this series again, so we can partner with you as parents and say, listen, man, we're all on this journey together. There is not a perfect parent other than the heavenly father. But so many of us, speaking of the heavenly father, we didn't have good fathers or good mothers to give us a right depiction of God. Here's what's crazy. How you parent will shape how your kids see God. And I want my kids to know that God's their authority, but I want my kids to know that God loves them. And so they need love over time. They need discipline over time. They need words and stories and fun and friends over time. And we'll talk about those over the next few weeks. But today, I just simply want you to get the the concept that you only have a limited amount of time. Yes, it's just a phase. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a good father to us. I know a lot of us here, maybe we didn't grow up with a good example of that. But because of who you are, and what you've done for us in Christ, we don't have to let our past be our future. Because by your grace, you've forgiven our past, but you've also empowered our future. There hasn't ever been a command that you've given us that you didn't want to enable us to do. And so God, there may be some folks in the room, in the house, or listening, or watching that don't know you, They have never received this kind of love. And so they don't know how to love you because they haven't received love from you. And so right now, God, would you open their eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is and about what you've done to save them? Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if there's never come a point in time in your life where you know that that your life was started over, it's like you got the second chance because God opened your eyes to see the truth and he forgave you and he empowered you to walk with him. We call that salvation. And if that has not happened, but you feel like right now God's opening your eyes to see the truth of it, then it's happening right now. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray with me, not out loud, and trust Christ and be saved. So if that's you, Very simple, you can pray with me. It goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? We just simply got a gift we want to give you to help you follow up after that decision. So just lift your hand up. Go ahead, lift it up. And then we put a gift in your hand and you can put it down. Thank you. And then those of us that we've trusted Christ, but if we're honest, we're like, man, I'm wrestling, struggling. Listen, parenting is hard. Because parenting is a lot like pastoring. Doing the right things over time is hard. 
because it's not always received. It's not always celebrated. But what we're saying in this series is, man, we're in this together. We're in this together. And whatever phase that your kid is in, you can start today. I mean, if you got five weeks with them, get five marbles and engage in the next five weeks. You can't change the past, but you can engage now in the present and go after a different future. So whatever phase you're in or whatever phase your kids are in, it's an opportunity for us to engage because it's just a phase, but we don't want to miss it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for the opportunities we have to not only engage in this, but to take the mission of multiplying faith into the next generation seriously. It is overwhelming, but would you give us the grace to do it? Because the best thing in our life may not be something we do. It may be someone we raise. And we want to join you in the process of helping people grow. So thank you for a church that believes it. Thank you for families that want to be built on who God is. as proved by showing up consistently and engaging. And so God, empower us to do that, not only in our own hearts, our own marriages, our own lives, but in the lives of our kids. So therefore we can be a strong church and build a strong community and have a different future in our world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.